to me. Live from the Twin Cities, we got a shit ton of snow. We're the Daves, you know this is the Daves I know. You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to, but we both know I can't do nothing at all. Day late. Um, I had some I had other Zoom meetings yesterday, um, so we're just going to record this one a little bit later. Um, not that anybody's leaving their house, especially if you're in Minnesota because of all this fucking snow. So plenty of time to listen to podcasts tomorrow. So uh, with us, we have the regular crew. Uh, Dan, how you doing? I'm hanging in there. Haven't uh, had a heart attack from shoveling snow yet, so winter's off to a good start. That's good. That's good. I'm going to go do mine after we record the podcast, so we'll, I'll check in with you guys afterwards. MJ, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I, I have a new computer keyboard, so I'm, I'm really happy. Excellent. Excellent. So those typos that we get the document, we won't have those typos anymore, or is that? Yeah, no, unfortunately, the, 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 the PEGCAC era still, still exists, so okay. the problem exists between chair and keyboard. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, I have something very excited to announce, and you guys were on. Uh, you guys know about this, obviously. We are definitely brewing the Dave's I know uh, beer this weekend, the Heath Out Stout. Uh, we're going to let you know. I'm going to talk to Christian over at Hop Clouds. Presumably, we will be able to let you know, give you some of the details on it uh, next week, uh, what the beer is going to taste like and all that. Unfortunately, or fortunately, since it's going to be a little bit of a higher ABV, it's going to take a little bit longer to settle, but it'll also be something that you can age. So we're going to set up a time once we um, once we get the beer brewed and everything, a, an opportunity for people who are interested to come pick up the beer. We certainly, if you are a member of our uh, Patreon and are unable to make that, you know, we'll figure out ways to either, if you're in the Twin Cities, to deliver it to you or, or because it's a higher ABV beer, Christian can certainly hold on to it and he'll be able to age it a little bit more for you as well. So we're figuring out all the details on all that stuff. Um, but again, you know, the beers are fantastic. I think this one is going to be really, really good. I'm excited to tell everybody, give everybody sort of the, the, the breakdown that I got from Christian on, uh, on Twitter today it was fantastic. So if you want to get in, get in on that, you got to get in now, uh, three bucks a month, uh, patreon.com slash the Daves I know to help support the Daves that you know. All right, uh, guys, we have a game to talk about. Finally, it's been a while. Um, but we, uh, we played the Houston Dynamo on Sunday night. And uh, yeah, so that was a, that was a thing that happened. Uh, any, before we get jump into sort of the, the, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that happened in the game. Any, any general thoughts, uh, general thoughts or takeaways from the game that you want to talk about? I have one word, disappointment. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty apt word. The, uh, the second half might be the worst half of soccer I've watched like since, qu- since quarantine started. <laughs> yeah, it was it was not great. What's not great? Let's talk about it very quickly. Uh, we'll get through the Wait, first worse half. Wait, worse than the first, first half scoreless, scoreless in Dallas? Oh, you know, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> this team is just racking them up, man. Uh, they, they played some, I, yeah, they played some a, pretty good a, halves and then some really, really bad halves. It, I mean, that's true. Like, on a good weekend day, though, I'll watch four games, 
five. So the fact that most of my worst halves of soccer I've seen involve United is um, that's yeah, it's, that's not not a positive statement. Pretty a pretty damning indictment of, of the team. So yeah, but it isn't as though like I only ever watch United. So oh hey, the, my best and worst halves, both Minnesota United. Who would have right. guessed that? Yeah. No, 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 no. Right on. Well, we started off uh, this match again in our four two three one. With uh, Reynoso was out actually uh, was was Aha, um, both of those guys not in the eighteen, which everybody was you know was speculating those guys must be the ones who got the COVID, uh, just because you know they were not in the eighteen at all. Um, Reynoso obviously didn't start, so that means Lude was on the left in his favorite position, Molino in the center, and Finley on the right. One thing I'll say about that formation very quickly is that it, certainly Lude was on the left and he, he played more on the left. They were doing a lot of switching, um, which was great. There was a lot more fluid movement between Molino, Lude, and Finley, uh, which I thought was great, especially the first half at least. The second half, not so much. Um, yeah, well, what was fluid in the, in the second half from the Minnesota's right. United standpoint? Yeah, the, their, yeah, their sloppy defense was very fluid. But – so everybody's speculating that Reynoso and Aha were the uh, had the vid. Um, maybe it was the Mate. I'm, I'm going to blame the Mate. I know Rodrigo will probably kill me for that, uh, as well as like Eric Silva Brenneman. But blaming the Mate for the for the COVID. Anyways, uh, Minnesota got out <clears throat> to a decent start. Um, actually, a disappointing start because in the ninth minute, uh, Houston uh, Lundqvist got a yellow card, which could have been a red for a egregious tackle on Hassani Dotson. No VAR. I was kind of curious. Um, Dan, we've been chatting about VAR for various reasons uh, over the week, over the course of the weekend. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on, on why the VAR was not used in this situation? Yeah, I really don't. Uh, to me, this is a clear-cut red. Uh, Lundqvist comes in from behind, uh, spikes straight into Dotson's calf. No chance of winning the ball, so he's high, he's late. Um, this t- like th- this from behind. T- what? Wasn't it from behind as well? It was from it behind. It was, yeah, yeah from behind. Uh, the only thing he was really missing for your, like, classic red card scissor tackle is that he wasn't two-footed. So we'll we'll give him that it was fractionally less red than it could have been. But to me, this is a super obvious call. And I, the the reason I can't imagine it was var or sorry, the only reason I can think of that it wouldn't be var is that the referee had chosen to give a yellow. And so the difference between yellow and red looks a little more like a judgment call. So maybe VAR decides not to intervene in that situation. If he hadn't given any foul at all, like we saw with, uh, in the Nashville game, I suspect VAR would have reviewed it. And when you see it in slow-mo, you're like, okay, this is high. This is late. This is from behind. Like this is an obvious red card. Red card so I yeah. suspect the yellow card kind of saved Lundquist, but that's, it's terrible. That yeah. is a, that is a red card every day of the week and twice on Sundays. And damn it, this game was on a Sunday. <laughs> it was indeed. Uh, well, Sonny Dotson got up uh, from that ch- uh, ridiculous challenge, managed to keep playing for a little bit. We'll talk about him in a, in a second here. Uh, Minnesota got a goal, not more than two minutes after this. This was an amazing sequence. Um, so Chase Gasper throws, has a great throw in uh, to Molino, who head flicks it to Kamara, who like flicks it with his foot to Lude, who's just in on goal. Um, he's getting chased down by the Houston defenders, as, you know, Robin Lude is wont to do. But he makes an amazing – well, not – he kind of shanks his pass. He doesn't make an amazing pass, but he makes a, a good decision. It makes the correct pass. He kind of he kind of mishits it. But Finley, who the fuck knew that Finley had a left foot? Because he buries it. 
um, with his left foot about, you know, uh, 12 yards out, um, Marich had no, no chance at it. So it was just, a, it was a really great sequence from the, from the beginning with the, the great throw from Chase Gasper, the Molino head flick, a Kamara flick on to Lude, um, Lude who had a couple opportunities like this where he got, he got played on uh, and was wide open in space in the first half. And then the 15th minute, uh, Hassani Dotson basically goes down. Um, clearly he is out and uh, it does not look good, um, Dan, for Hassani Dotson. No, uh, we don't have any. We don't have any confirmation from the team yet. Um, I have some familiarity scouting from uh, scouting from slow mo replays on injuries, and I would be shocked if Dotson plays again this season. Um, I don't think he broke anything, um, but this is something of a misconception that you're. If you don't break it, you'll sort of be fine. But with uh, ankles and wrists where you've got a ton of soft tissue, uh, honestly, sometimes the break can be a little bit of a blessing in disguise. In this case, I suspect this is going to be a high ankle sprain. Um, That's eight to 10 weeks minimum. So I think at this point, we need to consider Dotson a lost cause for the season. Now, he should be fine beginning of next year. So that's that's good news. I don't know. And this isn't an ACL tear or anything like that. But yeah, that would don't don't go looking for the slow-mos if you're squeamish because he the ball of his ankle damn near touches the ground uh and that's not that's not how anatomy is supposed to work fun fact fun fact for you guys about that it is it is not it is not yeah it was bad um 15 minutes later ethan finley gets his brace gets a second goal this one um from a beautifully so jacory hayes actually uh, who had a we'll talk about hayes in a second had a really good game, but for sort of one really bad, really bad giveaway. This was, uh, he was all over the pitch uh, playing with Alonzo. At this point, Alonzo would come on for Dotson, obviously. Uh, but he even playing with Dotson those first 15 minutes. He looked really good. Him and, him and Dotson looked really good playing together. He had an amazing, amazingly weighted pass that beat the defenders. Uh, Finley made it a great run, running across, um, across the box. So from his right-hand side over to the left gets the ball. And then again, with his left foot, again, who the fuck knew Anthony Finley had a left foot and makes it two nothing Minnesota United. So it was uh great for Minnesota. It looks like he has two left feet, but a score sheet. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, the two though was a flattering scoreline for Minnesota here. Um, you know, Houston had some opportunities, especially in the first half. They did they looked tired. Houston, honestly, just watching the game, they looked very tired. This was the, I believe their fifth game in 15 days or fifth game in 16 days. They played a lot. They looked tired. They looked sort of disjointed. Minnesota didn't look great either by all any stretch of the imagination. 2-0 again, I think, flattered Minnesota. They looked like they had been, you know, we'll talk about Heath in a second, but they hadn't really, you know, practiced too much. Uh, in the 34th minute, Houston, uh, Amaru Manotas had an absolute rocket of a shot that was going top, you know, far top corner that DSC managed to get a, just a fingertips on and tipped it onto the bar. He had another couple of amazing saves, and I get, we'll talk a little bit about Dane St. Clair in a second, but could have easily been 2-1 to one going into halftime. So at halftime, uh, Tab Ramos makes a, ch- makes a change uh, right at half, brings in Nico Hansen for Ariel Lasseter. Lasseter had been tearing up Chase Gasper. He teared up Chase Gasper a couple weeks ago when they played in Houston, was tearing him up here. Ariel Lasseter is just way faster than Chase Gasper. Lots of players are way faster than Chase Gasper, but Lasseter in particular has Gasper's number. Nico Hansen had his number even more. We'll talk about him in a second. And then the 50th minute, Dane St. Clair's uh, goal streak, which I believe ended up being 350 minutes, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. So it's the longest in MLS, uh, Minnesota's MLS history. Uh, 350 minute goal streak ends with uh, MJ. I'll, I'll let you take it from here. It was a four on two 
and Boxall. Can you set up why it was a four on two though? Set up why it was a four on two though, because that it was there were some particular. So Hayes gave up the ball, right? Hayes had 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 a rough touch. So. Ozzy Alonso had a had a had not great pass to Hayes and did not put him in a great position. Right, it wasn't a hospital ball, but he did not put Hayes in the right. And it looked like rather than aiming for his left or right foot, it kind of went between his feet, and and yeah. Hayes had to like corral the ball a bit, and it just put him in a tough tough spot. If, if Hayes wasn't going back to the ball in a backwards direction, he really didn't have a lot of space, yeah, time he- to deal with it. He but was Hayes, pressured. Yes, he was pressured by Houston. Houston was at this point had sort of like figured out what their their game plan was, made adjustments at halftime. We'll talk about that in a second, uh, and had decided to sort of put the pressure on Jacory Hayes and Ozzy Alonso, forcing them to you know make mistakes. Um, this was an opportunity. That obviously, Ozzy Alonso makes a pass that he probably I'm not sure where else he could have made, that made a pass other than kicking it out, um, but he passed it into Jacory, who was pressured. Meanwhile. Um, Chase Gasper and Romain Metnier had both decided to bomb forward right. on the right and left-hand side. So now, now, you, now we set up sort of what the situation is. Go ahead, take it away. And so with only two at the back and Hayes pressured, he doesn't get the best first touch and kind of a swim move. Houston's able to, able to get in front of Hayes, steal the ball and go the other direction. Michael, Michael Boxall is guarding the ball on our left and the pass goes to his right and he tracks all the way over to what should be Dane St. Clair's guy. If you know it's a four on two or a three on two, if you know you're outnumbered, you let the goalkeeper take the guy with the ball, especially if that person's on the edge, has a shitty angle. You let that guy... you you don't want to see that ball crash cross back over to the other three fuckers, but no Boxall crosses all the way over from his side of the pitch over to where the ball is. Now you have both Dane and him sort of on that guy with the ball. And, you know, Rodriguez is just too good. I mean, he, he, he picks, he picks out, uh, uh, Quintero picks out Rodriguez wide open on, on, on the other side of the pitch. And it's a pretty easy goal. Yeah, so the one thing I'll say there is I think the reason why they they overcommitted to Quintero is because it's Quintero, right? <laughs> like Minnesota United specifically worried about Darwin Quintero giving him a lot of space. They had given they had actually given him a lot a lot of space. He had he had a couple of shots in the first half that really he probably should have put better. He didn't put anything on frame in the first half. Probably should have put one or two on frame. It, it may have beaten uh, Dane St. Clair. So I think you're correct. Um, I think the, the problem was is because it was Darwin Quintero, that's why Boxel overcommitted like he did. I would buy that excuse if this wasn't like the 18th time I've seen Boxel, Chase Gasper, or Metonair have an odd or even person mismatch coming at them and not realize where the extra body was. If that's this hadn't point. happened before, it's like, oh, he's the genius. Halftime, halftime adjustment. Watch out for that Darwin Quintero fucker, guys. But no, I don't believe that shit at all. Fair point. Uh, all right, so Minnesota makes a couple of substitutions. Uh, one in the 69th minute, and then one in the 70th minute. I don't know why. I mean, we know why Heath wasn't going to make these like make other substitutions. So he made those two subs at different times, so that he was he will have used up all of his subs, so we couldn't uh, couldn't get up, give him an opportunity or give him shit for not making another substitution later in the game. 
Uh, in six and a half minute, he brings on uh, Marlon Hairston for Ethan Finley, arguably the one guy who was playing the best out of Minnesota. Uh, you can make an argument for Dane St. Clair, I think, too. But Ethan Finley was easily the best uh, um, outfield player for Minnesota. And then he brings in uh, Aaron Schoenfeld for Kai Kamara. We have a, we have some, we have, I think, we'll have a little discussion about Kai Kamara later. So we don't really need to talk about you unless you guys have any specific questions, concerns. I My biggest qu- concern and question is where the, f- like, where the fuck is Raheem Edwards? And we got a little uh, taste from his Twitter afterwards where he was, I think he's kind of lost the, lost the, the plot of it as well, so. I suspect Edwards is the 2020 player that is really good and Adrian Heath just hates for some reason. Uh, it's an August position. He should be very proud to hold it. Previous holders include Miguel Ibarra and Christian Ramirez. Um, the big thing with the subs to me is it just reflects just how poor our depth is right now. Kamara looked bad. I, I 100% agree with the decision to pull him off. Yes. Bringing Aaron Schoenfeld on doesn't solve any problem. It might solve the problem that you have too many goals or that your attack is too functional, but he's, he's not a technically gifted player or particularly fast. He's big. He's, he's definitely a large human being. I can verify that, but like what he's white size up front, you know, I mean, it's, it's true. And like, we, we see actually Schoenfeld be a good defensive asset on headers and stuff like that. But I just, you look at the decision to pull Kamara off. That's fine. But you just can't make a like for like there. And I realized like it was a super thin bench. Um, but that said, it, we'll get into this in a little bit, but uh, in all likelihood, come the first day of the off season, Aaron Schoenfeld will be the only recognized striker on the roster. And I'm here to tell you, Minnesota doesn't need a starting striker. They need a starting striker and a backup striker because Schoenfeld looked terrible. Yeah. All right. And then uh, 83rd minute, Houston gets a, a equalizer. Uh, Mauro Minotas um, has a great run into the box, puts it into the six yard box. Both Chase Gasper and Dane Sinkler don't really know what the hell to do with it. And Nico Hansen's right there to uh, just to tap it in, basically uh, make it 2 2, which is uh, how the game ended. Honestly, Houston had a few more opportunities after this. They, they easily could have t- uh, uh, went in and taken all three points from Minnesota. So. And Adrian Heath alluded to this in his post-game conference, press conference, that they were lucky. Minnesota was lucky to take the one point from this match, which is not something you want your coach saying after a home match uh, when the other team has played six games in 15 days and you've played, you know, one game in 15 days. So anyways, a couple uh, interesting stats. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Freddie Aduce. Uh Minnesota had four shots to Houston's 15. Three of those were on target to Houston's eight. Um, again, we lost the possession battle 47-53, which is, you know, what Minnesota expects to do. Um, and Dan, this is your stat in here. One shot in the second half and 40% possession. That's just not acceptable for Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, I get this, this team wants to play on the counterattack and they've been really successful that way. You need more than one shot. <laughs> like, you have to give the defense something to respect and the United just didn't. Let's jump into our Freddie Adu's. Let's see. Uh, you guys both have uh, Ja'Cory Hayes as your uh, good Freddie do. Um, does someone want to take that one? I just thought he dribbled the ball really well. He knew usually where his space was. And that through ball to, to Finley was incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, the one thing I'll add is that was definitely his best pass of the night, but it was definitely not his only, oh, shit, pass of the night. Uh, he had a crossover to Gasper that took out a bunch of defenders. Um mm-hmm. We often 
bemoan United's ability or inability, sorry, to play between the lines. And that's what he was really seeming to focus on. His passes were progressive. Um, just a really, really successful game from him. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, you can make it. I, the, only, the only thing that like knocks Hayes for me is that he did have that bad giveaway. Again, I don't think that was entirely 100% his fault. I went with Ethan Finley. I think you could easily make a case for Dane St. Clair. Um, we'll talk a little bit about those guys. They making the team of the week for MLS, you know, two goals. Um, a brace is, is really good for Ethan Finley uh, scoring with his left. He made those runs. Those are great runs by him. Both yeah. of those goals. And that was, those were not the only ones. He had a couple other opportunities where he was really good. So, all right. Uh, shitty Freddie you do's I'll start. I went chase Gasper just again, had a, you know, he was either very nondescript or at, partially at fault for well partially at fault for both those goals the, the Nico Hansen goal was more directly at fault the uh first goal the Memo Rodriguez goal he was just he was he had bombed forward he, he was not even anywhere close at least at least when you finally finally scored the goal you could see Metnir getting into the frame like you're tracking back Chase Gasper was nowhere to be seen I know Minnesota wants to counter and you know you're it's not Probably 80% of the time that ball is totally fine, but Gasper needs to do better, uh, do better there and, and do better on what he, when he's deciding to make those, you know, he's too often trying to make runs forward, I think now. And he hasn't had, uh, and honestly, spoiler alert, I don't think Metnir either has had a good game since, uh, since Orlando, um, as well as Kevin Molino. So there's a lot of guys there who are not doing good right now, but I won't chase Gasper. So Dan, you had, uh, you had Romain Metnir. Uh, I did. And you guys know it breaks my heart because, uh, I love Metin there, and but I agree. I mean, since the team got back from Orlando, he's been okay a few games, and he's been pretty poor some other ones, uh, notably the game in which he got a red card. Not great. Uh, in this game, he was actually decent on defense. Um, you're right on that first goal. He bombs forward. He's out of position. Um, honestly, the the thing that kind of put him on the, the Freddie Adu's for me was his offensive performance. Um, you know, bringing in Kamara, it's pretty much a sign that this team – wanted to score some headed goals and really provide the target that they didn't have for Metinair last year. And it seems like they have the opposite problem. Now that they have the target striker, Metinair couldn't find, couldn't hit waterfalling out of a boat. Um, and it's really frustrating because they clearly want to run the offense through him, but it's just not working. So not great on offense with a few defensive laps puts you in the Freddie Adus for me. Yeah. Uh MJ, you had Michael Boxall. I think we think we've established your distaste for Michael Boxall, at least in this game for sure. I will say this: over his career with Minnesota United, Mike, Michael Boxall has elevated his game. Most notably, that time that he got benched by Heath and Brian Coleman was given his starting position. I believe was last year. Um, Ron Coleman. Brent. Brent. Was it Brian? Did I say Brian? Yes. Yeah. Oh, hilarious. Anyway. That that would have been a way more offensive benching. Yes, it would have. <laughs> Anywho, uh, Brent Coleman. Apologies, Brent. Uh, so when Brent Coleman took his starting position for a brief period of time, and you saw Michael Boxall come back with fire. Here you're seeing Michael Boxall without an Icopara. And he needs to be that disciplined, see the whole pitch sort of center back, and he isn't. You know, and so for him to take that next step and elevate his game again, 
I want to see him become that leader on the back four. You know, if 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 Debassy is that person, great. But someone, one of those guys, has to be the. They see everything coming, and they tell other people what to fucking do. So Dane St. Clair doesn't have to do all that shit. Makes sense. Uh, all right, our Freddie Adu for Freddie just for Houston. Uh, we can be quick on these. Uh, MJ, you have Darwin Quintero. Dan, you have Memo Rodriguez. I won't argue with either one of those. Why don't you guys give us the give us the reasons for for both your picks? Rodriguez moved the offense really, really effectively. That was the big thing for me. Obviously, a great finish on the first goal. Uh, but more than that, it just seemed like he was constantly one step ahead of the defense and really allowed Houston uh, to move across the wings and set up their attack really effectively. MJ? We've talked a little bit about this before, but you've seen Darwin Quintero being liberated from needing to be the only playmaker only scorer and the primary person to handle the ball and traffic up the middle, not being asked to do those things, being put on the wing, he can cut middle and be more threatening and, and attack with the ball or, or dribble middle. And he has people around him that will fill the space in his wake. And so in this tab Ramos system, he's out on the, on either the left wing or the right wing. He's working well with Minota's, uh, uh, Memo Rodriguez, Saran, Lasseter, they're making good passes, making good cuts, and good things eventually happen when that happens. So it, to me, it's Houston's, Houston's Darwin Quintero is like night and day with Minnesota United's Darwin Quintero. He yes, still sir. loves to, dri- to dribble into an alley, though. He did that a few times. I was like, oh, I recognize that. Yeah. There's definitely, we definitely saw shades of this, of this Darwin when he first came with to Minnesota, but definitely that was definitely beaten, beaten out of him very quickly by uh striker whisperer, Adrian Heath. So uh, you guys have a couple of uh, other attackers for your shitty Freddy dudes in Mauro Minotas and Ariel Lasseter. So MJ, what, uh, tell us a little bit about why Minotas was, uh, was shit this game. Well, there's a reason why Christian Ramirez doesn't start. And that's because uh, Mario Minotas is, is a damn good striker. The thing is, what have you done for me lately, Minotas? Like, his last few games have been very lackluster. And this is goes beyond just not getting on the score sheet. Yeah, it's really it's really disappointing that Ramirez... So, Ramirez, if you didn't... Uh, if you weren't aware, obviously, Ramirez was not in the 18. He did not travel. Um, he had he announced this. He had had a, a inconclusive test the night before. And I bet, like, apparently part of MLS protocol is that if you have an inconclusive test, if you don't test negative, you're unable to travel the next day. Um, he obviously on Sunday he had tested negative and he was totally fine, did not have COVID, but that was the reason why he was not on the 18. I think you're right, MJ. I think Ramirez might have gotten a start in this game if he had actually made the trip up to, to Minnesota, which really. By the way, the latest MJ Anon theory is that they told to make Ramirez test inconclusive so that people from Minnesota United wouldn't talk to him about being the next striker for, for Minnesota United. Oh, I was gonna say, I was gonna say the most of the, the bulk of that is not even MJ on because there is a conspiracy to not let him play in Minnesota ever again. When you when you threw on the next striker from Minnesota, that part okay is definitely the MJ on yeah, part. So I mean, like everybody else is talking about the the first part of that. <laughs> Minnesota needs a striker, and you know, yeah. the, the, perfect the, the, the word on the street is that the scouts really wanted to talk to him. You yeah, know? right. Uh, Dan, uh, make the case for Lasseter. 
Yeah, so you referenced this er, referenced this earlier. Ariel Laster tore up Chase Gasper the last two, time these two teams played. Um, scored two goals in that game, if I recall correctly. In this game, he clearly wanted to do the same thing, but just uh, this is probably fatigue. He still had to step on Gasper, but his technique just kind of let him down pretty consistently. And eventually you saw Houston start to go away from his side and really attack almost exclusively with Quintero towards the end of the first half. Not the worst choice in the world, but I suspect that's why uh, Tab Ramos hauled him off at half, and it turns out that was a great decision. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I'm going to go with the obvious one that you guys didn't mention was um, fucking uh, Adam Lundqvist for, uh, you know, <laughs> destroying the rest of Hassani Dotson's season. So fuck that guy. Piece of shit. All right, that brings us to our uh, big questions segment. Um, we have a couple of, of things we want to talk about here. Um, Dan, you you mentioned in our uh, group text, um, you know, discussing our thoughts on Kai Kamara. We, we've gotten, what, five games with Kai Kamara now? Um, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you lead the discussion here? Sure, yeah. So I guess I want to preface this mostly by saying the punchline here isn't that I think Kamara is bad. Um but we definitely have not seen anything from him that would make me say, oh, he's actually really good. Um, and David, you're right. So he's he's played in five games, started four. So through 320 minutes, he has one goal, and it was the penalty. Um, he 1.8 expected goals is actually pretty decent. Um, but by and large, I just – I feel like he floats – out of games quite a bit. And what I can't really put a finger on is, is this a breakdown in the system that he's more of a 4-3-3 striker instead of a 4-2-3-1? Is this a breakdown in his service? Gasper's not a great crosser of the ball. Metnair is performing very poorly recently. Is this an issue with not getting service from the top of the box? Is this, why aren't we seeing the consistent performer that United expected them expected to get from him um and part and parcel of that is so he's played in five matches there are five matches remaining how do we get something out of kai kamara that we have not seen so far do you remember when we were talking about how many goals kai kamara was going to score the rest of the season yeah the over under was a three if i recall correctly yeah who's the one who took the under again all right, MJ. I mean, five, five games left, man. Like, yeah. No, I, I think part of it is it's a new team, and you know, Lord knows, I wouldn't want to come onto an Adrian Heath team and Adrian Heath system mid mid season. But learning new teammates, learning learning a new system, learning where y- your coaches want you to be in certain situations, it's going to take time, and. Time is something we don't have. I would definitely agree with that if we were talking about like a number 10, like Reynoso, for example. Like, I'm not, I'm, we haven't, I don't think, seen anything near his best, although he has been good. With Kamara, you know who he is, you know what he's going to do. Like, you, Kamara, go stand in the box about on the penalty spot, and you, wingers, cross the ball in. He's the big guy with the hair. Like, just aim for that and you'll be fine. So, like, you're probably right that this isn't a familiarity thing. But of all the positions on the field, this should be the one where familiarity comes the fastest. Yeah. And, and 
I mean, it wasn't, I believe it was Adrian Heath who said in an interview after they made the trade that after a match against Colorado last year, Kai Kamara came over and said, uh, if you, I was bet on your team, I would have scored five goals. And so they were like very much saying, you know, oh, he's gonna he's gonna come into the team and score a bunch of goals. That was when Metnir was doing all of his amazing crossing into, into the box and all that. There was someone I can't remember. It was I saw it on Twitter and now I'm blanking. I think it, it was a dark cloud or I don't know if it was a journalist. I'm not I not hundred percent sure. But basically it was a tweet that basically said it was after a couple of Kai Kamara matches where he was literally not getting any service whatsoever. And it was basically it was basically saying like where are all the toy haters now, right? The guy wasn't the guy wasn't getting any fucking service. How was he gonna score goals if Kai Kamara? You could have um, the best fucking striker in the world, right? If you're not getting any service, it's gonna be really hard to score goals, right? Like Kai Kamara is not a guy. If Kai Kamara was 26, um, I could see you know him. I can see us like trying to say, hey man, like maybe come back, try to try to to do a little more what Christian Ramirez used to do for Minnesota United, which is create some stuff by coming back into the, you know, more into the midfield. There's no reason. I guess there is a reason why. And this is actually something else I noticed watching the game on Sunday was that Kai Kamara was dropping further and further and further back. Yes. And getting himself into the play a lot earlier. And that. It's a great pass. It's not, that's not Kai Kamara's game. That shouldn't be Kai Kamara's game, right? Like that's not. That's not a good effective use of of the you know however many limited number of miles Kai Kamara has left on his legs. It shouldn't be you know, help having to like create stuff in the midfield for then you to get something at the on the end of it. At that's not how Kai Kamara is designed to play. It's not how this team is set set up to play with a Kai Kamara type, right? If, if it's Luis Amaria or somebody like that, then yes, I can see that Christian Ramirez esque type uh, striker. Yes, you want them to come back into the into the midfield create a little more opportunities, you know, be able to like receive a pass and then kick it out and then make a run. Right. Like Kakamara can do a little bit of that hold up stuff, but like, really we brought him in. We did not bring him in to do that. We brought him in to put the ball in the back of the fucking net with his head and, or, you know, occasionally his shoulder or something. Right. Um, <laughs> not necessarily to do that, to try and like create chances to be like a third or fourth uh, assist man on a, on a, on an opportunity uh, for us. So and I can't remember who said that. I, I apologize um, if you're a follower of the account and, and I'm not properly crediting you. Let us know. I will make sure to credit you. Because it was basically that whole point was like, it's not, this wasn't a striker problem. This is a, our strikers don't have any fucking service problem. This is a coaching uh, and then execution problem. Not, you know, it's not on the actual striker, the execution parts, right? It's on everybody else. It's on Metnir like reverting back from his form from last year. It's on Chase Gasper us knowing Chase Gasper and theoretically the team knowing Chase Gasper is not a crosser of the ball. Um, it's on, you know, not having Jan Gregus and for whatever reason, not being the same um, type of crosser as he has been. And obviously not doing as many of his, not as much on terms of free kicks and things like that. Right. And then we saw in this match, fucking Robin Lou taking corner kicks and free kicks and, and just being absolute shit. Right. There's, we're even getting past the first fucking defender. So when you have opportunities like that, with that when that is your service, of course Kai Kamara is going to be goalless. You know, goalless in the run of play for the five matches that he's played for Minnesota United. So, yeah, it's I guess one of the questions I think, and, and your points are certainly well taken, is how do you fix this going forward? Right, like theoretically the transfer window is is still open, and I say extremely theoretically. 
but I think it is till the not till tw- the 29th, I believe. So it is technically open. So right, but the, there's almost no way the team is going to bring in another player. And to MJ's point, you're going to have to blood a man, and that takes time. So you've got like what two games left or whatever it is at that point. So anybody they bring in now is will be with an eye to next season. So knowing the personnel that's available, uh, Gray Goosh I think is back this game before then leaving again for the November window. So that'll help. Uh, Alonzo is back, although he looked a little rusty. Like, is this a formation thing? What do you try to give Kamara the chance to be a great goal scorer that is actually something this team could do? I mean, <laughs> fucking, uh, yeah, iron skillet practice, I guess, maybe. <laughs> um, putting, putting the ball into, you know, like literally uh, all anything, like, Chase Gasper, this is maybe to the point of, of kind of maybe fixing some of the other uh, problems uh, that Chase Gasper and Romain Metnir have shown us over the last last, last few games. Is like, <clears throat> they don't do any running. They just hit fucking crosses. Just hit fucking crosses all practice. I mean, they're only practicing in, like, five-man groups anyways. Like, just hit fucking crosses to Kai Kamara. I don't know. Maybe that helps. I, w- I wonder if you switch to a 3-5-2. And actually take away a little bit of their defensive responsibility just to give them I, I, fatigue has to be a thing here. That is my yeah. guess is that everybody is fatigued. Nobody is as sharp as they should be. Metonier looks like, I mean, Kai Kamara had a great header to play a give go with Metonier. And then Kai Kamara kind of looted Metonier up on the corner, like went way across the other side of the field, expecting a cross. And Metonier, by the time he headed the ball down to his feet, you know, turned the corner, slowed the ball down, collected himself, picked his head up. He looked gassed. So, Dan, I, so yeah, I think you're right. Both of you guys, I think the the um, fatigue has definitely set in. These guys are not match fit anymore, if they even were before the COVID stuff. But like, certainly not being able to practice with, you know, with COVID stuff has not allowed them to keep their match, any whatever match fitness that they had. I am actually very intrigued about doing a 352. We we break out a three five two when we have like four main guys missing out of the starting lineup and we're and we're throwing in Marlon Harrisons and Edwardses and things like that. I'd be interested to see an actual three five two with the players that we actually have with the good players that we have. Um, I think that's an interesting. I think that's an interesting proposition. Again, you know, we're going to have Chase and and Metnier bombing forward, but if they don't have to worry so much about getting back on defense, that might be that might be make, make a lot of sense. It's at least worth trying. I mean, like, Minnesota took their two chances in this game and scored goals on both of them. And full credit to Ethan Finley, whose finishing I have uh, derided before. He took those chances absolutely as well as they could have been taken. But this team is not producing chances. And so I feel like we've got to do something or we're just going to keep losing 1-0 games, 2-0 games, and we don't have the point buffer to do that and still make the playoffs. Yeah. I would like to see them actually go in the opposite direction of Chase and Metnair wearing their their dominant legs out, crossing the ball to, to Kai Kamara in practice. I would like to see them go the Barcelona route and try to tiki-taka in, the, in, in the, the attacking third and let the ball do the work. And my reason for this is you saw what Ja'Cory Hayes was able to do with passes on the pitch. You've seen what Reynoso and Lude and Molino can do with passes on the pitch. 
Raheem Edwards, we have the pieces to do this. I just think that someone who we will probably talk about later thinks that the way to get the best attacking chances in the attacking third is to cross to a big striker. All right. What's that's a good transition, MJ. Let's what's 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 let's discuss Heath. We had uh there's some uh there's some quotes again. There was just a, I, I had a very heated conversation with somebody about Adrian Heath. Uh there was he was pseudo defending him and i just i lost my shit i just i couldn't i couldn't with it and it's a person i actually i like and respect and um so what's yeah let's i don't know i don't even know what the question is he brought up <laughs> the excuses again um and his quote was let me see if i can find it basically his quote was like i don't like to make excuses but here's my excuse which is I don't make which is literally every fucking time he has he has the shit. He's like, I don't like to make excuses, but here's my excuse. And or you know me, I'm not an excuse person, but here's the fucking excuse I have for why this didn't work. And it would be one thing if he was if his excuse was, you know what? I screwed up. Either I didn't make the right tactical change, um, I didn't have the right game plan, I didn't bring in uh, the subs that I needed to, uh, or even even if he said, we don't have the, the players I need on the pitch because I didn't bring them in, um, you know, players in the locker room in the 18, because I think he has never, I don't believe, hopefully someone can fact check me and, and prove I'm wrong, but I, I sincerely doubt that this man has never once blamed himself for this team not performing up to snuff. It's never once been his fault this team has failed it's, I think he it's often his it's often his his you know he he and to his credit he's also not very much he's not as much of a hey this is all on me when we win um i will give him that the guy is i think definitely a player's manager if he likes you right there's that's, there's that's a whole other whole other conversation that we could have which i don't necessarily want to have tonight but i've never once heard this guy say listen it was my fault i screwed up we didn't have the right game plan even even something even alluding to the fact that it, it was the things that he did that caused the team to not play well. Am I wrong in, in like, do you guys have anything off the top of your head? I, I don't believe that there has been an a time, especially not in 2018 here. And listen, if there is a season for there to be excuses that are, shit is out of your control, it's fucking 2020, right? Like <laughs> this is, this is the season, which is why I'm, which is why we're seeing all the shit that he normally does. And he's been doing for the last, three and a half fucking years that I've been yelling about and bitching about for over three years. Right. Even like halfway into that first year, I was like, this is not working. And I'm yeah. Go back and listen to fucking podcasts. Like 24. Don't go back to listen to podcast 24. Martin and I were probably very, very drunk. Um, We stopped drinking a lot very quickly. We realized how drunk we would get because we talked about Minnesota United because they were shit. But even then where we like, me for sure martin was not as much but i was definitely like this guy's not the right fit for minnesota he's not going to be the person we need him to be and yada yada yada. i've been on that i've been driving that fucking bus uh conducting that train for over three years i i don't know how many i don't know how many minutes i've spent yelling about adrian Heath in this podcast i don't really want to spend a ton more i will let you guys get to it in one second (laughs) but but the whole point is is like this would be you know he's gonna have he's gonna get a mulligan on this year right this is what he's doing with this team is a fireable offense, period. He has the talent. This has the talent to be a supporter shield challenging team, a 
top two or three seed in the Western Conference, hosting a couple of play- Western Conference playoff games, obviously in a right in like in a normal regular season. This team is underperforming by leaps and bounds as far as I'm concerned. And we're seeing uh this team more or less, I mean, this team more or less just quit in the second half of that game yesterday, uh, two days ago. This would be a fire up, this whole season would be a top a fireable offense. He's not gonna get fired because there is this built-in COVID season, right? This would be the one season to just try some shit. Just try shit. And, you know, all he wants to do is he wants to just make the playoffs. They'll be fine. They'll be able to say, oh, it was a weird season. We made the playoffs, yada, yada, yada. Um, I think, you know, I never gonna, I never have one person uh, who would cheer for his team to fail for a coach to get fired or for a draft pick or anything like that. I think that's, I'm not, I don't necessarily begrudge people who do that, but that's not who I am. So I would never cheer for this team to fail. But my God, would it just be fucking perfect if this team like lost, dropped points, in all and then all the rest of their matches, and then ends up missing the playoffs because of points per game. Nothing would happen, right? That's why I don't. That's why I'm not cheering for it because Adrian is going to have this job in January of next year. All right, I'll get off my soapbox. I think MJ wants to get on a soapbox for a little bit too, but I'll let you guys both uh, both weigh in there. Two things, just to reinforce things that you have said, David, in, in agreement. I remember being a guest on your podcast way back. No, I wasn't a guest. You and I were talking privately about coaches coming on to coach Minnesota United back when the transition happened. We knew MLS was going going to happen for our beloved Minnesota United. The NASL was, we were, we were going to leave. And you had said you would like to see Gio Savarese as coach, or maybe I gave you an A and B selection. I said, Adrian Heath or Gio Savarese. And you said Gio Savarese. And I had my Everton goggles on. Yeah. And I was. I, I, like, I vaguely remember this now. Yes. I, 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 and I was looking, I think also at my Austin Aztec goggles as well. You know, these fond memories of having lots of success in lower USL and transitioning a team from USL to a MLS franchise. And I was like, he's done this before. This will be perfect. Um, and you was like, no, MJ, no. Savarese is clearly the better tactician, clearly the better leader in the locker room. He's a better coach and I wouldn't buy it. And I was wrong. One of the many times. All right. See, I've been, so I've been on this fucking, I've been on this fucking train since <laughs> before uh, Minnesota United was in MLS, but you were, you, you I, were, you I'm were not, I'm not he was in. I'm not going to take too much credit for that because I think a lot of people uh, you obviously had, again, I think you're right. You had some Everton blinders on. I think a lot of us, a lot of our old school dark clouds were basically like Savarisi. He's, he's the play. You got to go Savarisi. You got to go Savarisi. And then no, I don't think anyone was um, shocked when it was Adrian Heath, but I think mostly just disappointed because we all really, really wanted Gio Savarisi. So we all know what it's like to look at a player or a coach or your coworker and evaluate them on one metric, you know, look at Adrian Heath, how much MLS experience does he have? How much MLS experience does Gio Savarese have? He's been doing the New York fucking cosmos and the NSL for, I don't know how many years, you know, what's that for resume? That's doesn't going to prove, that's not going to like provide any MLS success, right? You got to go with the, the MLS experience coach. Yeah. I, you know, Geo had really good internships, but Adrian Adrian had done this job before. Uh, 
I feel like I've heard that. I think I've been in Geo's seat a few times, so that's a, <laughs> that's an open wound. Um, look, I, I'll jump on something you mentioned, David, of not wanting to cheer for this team to fail. And I think this is one of those times where it wouldn't matter. Honestly, you know, you look at the schedule that Minnesota has left. So they should, and we'll get to this, absolutely beat Cincinnati on Sunday. After that, you have the Rapids, who um, are plagued, that's true, but actually have a higher points per game than United, uh, at Kansas City, home with the fire, and home with Dallas. Of those remaining five games, I don't see a guaranteed win outside of Cincinnati. The Fire are wildly inconsistent and eminently beatable, but they've also played weirdly well in some games. The Rapids, who knows how fit they'll be at that point. That KC game is going to be really tough, and Dallas has played this tough this year. So I think it's entirely possible that United drop points from now until the end of the season. And I think that does put them in a relegation, not a relegation scrap, it's something else entirely. Um, the potential of missing the playoffs. I don't think they will, but I think that potential exists. And you're right. It's just not going to matter. Heath is still going to be the coach of this team. And the thing that's particularly galling about that is the mistakes that United are making right now are not necessarily COVID related. They are the things that Heath consistently does condensed. So we saw this last year. We saw players getting fatigued. The guys that Heath was riding all season, like, can we please see some squad rotation? And, and he would say, you know, we just don't have the depth. Okay. That was certainly more true on last year's team. With this team, they have the depth and they have the ability to rotate some of those players out. And he just didn't. And he and not even talking necessarily in game, but game to game. We're not seeing the squad turn over. And now all of a sudden, with five games left in the season, you're talking about Gasper being completely legless. Metinair not being able to cross the ball in. Like Dotson now out, but he was not looking particularly well rested before Hayes completely burned out at the end of that game Finley missed a bunch of time so he looks a little fresher but like this team is playing hurt not because they have to but because they were forced into it and so it's really frustrating to me to see you're right a team that has this kind of talent the ability to do so much better not failing because 2020 is a shit show but failing because 2020 is a shit show in the way that highlights Adrian Heath's inability to do his job effectively um but i don't know what his contract shouldn't have been renewed we know why it was the first two years the team completely admits were a joke and last year the only year where they gave him a, a decently talented squad he hosted a playoff game so there's no way you're firing your coach after that they're not going to fire their coach after this year because 2020 is a shit show but they should and it's a really a question to me of okay what does he have to do to get fired? Are we doomed to be playing this exact same conversation every, let's say, six weeks for the next two years? Or is there something in the middle of la- of next season that could finally be so anathema to the club? They're like, you know what? Go to hell. We should have told you this years ago. Go to hell. <laughs> yeah, so I believe Maybe he could expose his genitals on a Zoom call. <laughs> I wouldn't wish that on anyone. With Ben Olsen getting fired uh, not too long ago, uh, Adrian Heath is the fifth longest tenured MLS coach behind Peter Vermees, Jim Curtin, Greg Vanny, and Brian Schmetzer. So say whatever you want to take from that. Um, so three MLS Cup champs and uh, 
Brian Curtin, who basically single-handedly turned around Philly. And Jim Curtin, yeah, who, yeah, who's only 41 and, yeah, basically has completely revamped Philly and made them into, you know, one of the better squads in the East and is selling players to, for millions of dollars to um, European clubs. So, yeah, so that's, uh, we have that to look forward to, uh, Minnesota United fans. All right, well, that's our, that was actually a pretty condensed uh, uh, Heath out rant. Um, But, yeah, if you didn't, you didn't get the gist of that Heath out fucking yesterday, please, for the love of God. Um, no, it's not. I editorialized myself heavily. You did. You did, MJ. I'm proud of you. All right. Uh, let's take, so let's do some other United news very quickly, and then we'll take a break uh, and then talk about some other stuff that's going on in the MLS. Uh, so officially, this is, I mentioned this on the podcast, like, I don't know, maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago, um, you know, heard some, some people that, uh, that were in the know. Allianz Field is going to be a Ramsey County ballot return spot. Um, it starts on next Thursday, the 29th, and it's uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Monday. So the 29th to this, the 2nd of November. Um, so not that, not, not that Sunday. Open every day at 10 a.m. Um, and then closing um, at various times. Um, Minnesota United's website has the details. So if you are a Ramsey County resident and you want to drop off your ballot, um, your absentee ballot, and you want, it's not going to be a voting spot. You can only drop off your ballot. Um, but you don't want to put it in the mail, like you got your ballot late. You didn't want to. You don't want to put it in the mail. You can drop it off at Allianz Field, which is really cool. Uh, you know, kudos to the team for stepping up and doing that. Um, as we mentioned, Finley, Ethan Finley made the MLS Team of the Week. Uh, Dane St. Clair made the bench. Um, Dan, we were in a, another Slack, and you were a little dubious about Dane St. Clair. Did you did you uh, do any more research about the other goalkeepers? I'll, I will say, Dane St. Clair made like four really great saves in this game. He did. Uh, to, to, he did, and and it truly it was it was no shade on him. I'm just always a little surprised uh, when a keeper that gives up multiple goals ends up in team of the week, especially because the second one, probably not directly his fault, but was would probably go in the books as a goalkeeping error. Uh, yeah. he, you are totally right. He made some spectacular saves, not the least of which on Minotis's rocket in the first half. Um, it just it, it caught my eye as being a little bit strange, but it's honestly I, what I suspected is is uh, an achievement award for the last three or four weeks when he hadn't give up, given up any of these goals. And then he played well enough, and they're like, well, we can't make you the starter, but you've had a hell of a run, kids. So we'll give you the bench. For sure. Lifetime achievement award. <laughs> yeah, but only if his <laughs> lifetime was like less than a cicada. Yeah, yeah, a 30-day 30, 30 achievement award. And we, this is something we, we're, we're, we'll talk about eventually, probably maybe in the offseason. Um, has Dane St. Clair, you know, done enough to, to keep this job? Like, is this his job to lose? And we'll save that for the, I think we'll have plenty of offseason so we can talk about the goalkeeping situation later. Um, I don't know if you guys listen to the BSI podcast, but uh, Ike Apara has been back on there. They just are re-kicking off their, a, a new season of their, of the podcast. Uh, and they were doing, it was weird. It was a really weird segment, right? So they were doing a you know, sort of, everybody was catching up. Uh, Benny Falhaber has uh, got a job with um, US, UCLA. Uh, Sal Zizo is obviously on San Diego loyal. So he had some updates on the, on the Colin Martin situation and all the stuff that was going on with San Diego. And then they asked Eichel Parra if he had, if he wanted to have any, any updates on his situation and the way they, the way that uh, I think it was Sal asked the question, or maybe it was Benny, was very weird and cagey, and or no, not cagey. The response from Ike was cagey because I think Ike was kind of caught off guard. And for me, I'm just like, hey guys, do a little fucking pre-production, right? Like, figure out the question that you want to ask. Like, we don't do a ton of pre-production uh, on this podcast, but we do chat back and forth during the games on 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 uh, uh, group text. 
we check in before the we start recording the podcast. I make sure that MJ hasn't read anything so that you know he's very up to date on everything. Um, but do a little fucking pre-production and figure out exactly what you want to say. And then like you can then extrapolate the question that you want Benny or Sal to ask you. Um, the big takeaway from it is is he was a little cagey, which leads I think a lot of people to believe that you know this may it may be soccer um soccer related like concussion related but if it was it's weird that it's if because there's been definitely like players saying stuff about concussions on their injury reports and things like that it makes me everybody think it's a little it's a little more it's definitely more personal than just a just concussion related issues right which opens the door for a lot of different things um a lot of it not soccer related so which is that tends to be sort of where i'm engaging we're not gonna i don't want to speculate on you know, Eichelpar's health or anything like that, but definitely, definitely sounds like he is um, taking care of himself and, and doing what he needs to do to make sure that he is, he's well. So good for him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're all in agreement on that. Uh, Jeff Reuter, friend of the pod earlier, uh, mentioned that he also didn't believe it was concussion issues. So yeah, we won't get into speculation, but I think that is not finally off the table, but I think there's wide agreement that whatever it is, it's not that. Yeah. Which is great because yeah. post concussion issues suck something awful. Yes, they do. Uh, all right, then um, this is reported out today, I believe. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Chicago Fire match uh, that was postponed about an hour before it was supposed to start a couple uh, a couple uh, week about a week ago was rescheduled to November fourth. Um, so the questions are: Are they going to reschedule the FC Dallas match? Rapids have seven matches that have been postponed. I think they only have rescheduled one of them or maybe two of them so far, um, which means – so the questions basically are, are they going to reschedule the FC Dallas match? I don't think they will. Again, unless um, – and Dan and I, you and I were chatting before MJ got onto the podcast. Um, I think the only way they can reschedule the match is if they do it during the international break, which there's no matches scheduled for MLS. MLS uh, playoffs are scheduled to start post-international uh, break in November. And the Rapids are definitely not going to be making up all of their matches. So that makes it much more likely. I mean, the, T, the MLS, Don Garber had said that if there's, you know, uneven number of games, they're going to be using points per game for playoff spots, um, which to me means like they're not going to prioritize making up the FC Dallas, Minnesota game if they're going to be using points per game for playoff spots, right? Like they're going to try and make up as many games as they possibly can, but they're not going out of the way to do it. Um, which another question is, was trying to schedule 18 games in 11 weeks during a massive pandemic, um, a good idea for MLS? I mean, the answer to that has to be no. Like I would be interested to know if the driving reason behind it was, Hey, the bubble worked great. We can definitely do this. Or if it was straight up greed with the TV contracts or what it was. But I think you're looking at, teams across the board that are playing worse than they would like to be playing. Um, it is leading to a high level of variance week to week, which is super fun because we're not actually gambling on these games. Um, we'll get into this in a second, but Hey, FC Cincinnati beat Columbus that one time. So like, that's kind of fun and interesting, but you're seeing guys get hurt. You're seeing teams look pretty suboptimal. Um, and then you have, uh, particularly with the Rapids and to a lesser extent, Dallas and Minnesota, the fact that you're flat out, not even going to get all 18 games in. So I think, I think the league would have been better suited to say, okay, let's take a little bit of a conservative approach to this. 
and make sure that we get everything in at a high level as opposed to, hey, let's cram as many games into this time period as we can. Go, go, Gadget, 18 games. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's take a break. When we come back, we will talk about some other MLS bullshit, um, a little bit about Ford Madison, uh, and talk about the upcoming match with FC Cincinnati. All right, take a break, and we'll be right back. You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to, but we both. We're back. Uh, let's get on some MLS, other MLS bullshit. Um, so if you are not familiar, there's been a, a bit of a drama with the uh, Supporter Shield. If you are like 98% of other MLS supporters, you probably real, just found out this week, if you even found out this week, that the Supporter Shield is not awarded uh, by MLS, but by another independent nonprofit organization, the Supporter Shield Foundation, which is independent of the independent supporters council, which is another organization. There's been a lot of drama around the supporter shield. This group of people decided that they were not going to award the supporter shield. Their arguments in favor of not awarding it are not the worst arguments in the world. Biggest question. What is the supporter shield? Oh yeah. Supporter shield is basically the, uh, whoever wins the most points in the season wins the supporter shield. Um, It's meant to recognize the team that played the best over the course of the entire MLS season, right? So it's inherently flawed because MLS teams do not play the same schedules. Um, Almost every other league in the world, you play home and away. You play one game at home, one game away versus all the other teams in your, in your, in your league. And whoever has the best, the best, the number, most number of points at the end of the season wins the league. Um, There are a few leagues that have playoffs uh, for, um, for championships and things like that, it's, it's few and far between. But MLS is different. MLS uh, is you know basically it's built off of sort of the American model where you have a regular season and then you have playoffs. So a, lo- a while ago, uh, I don't remember exactly how long. I think it's been over twenty years. Um, the group of supporters decided to get together to order to award the shield to whomever had the most points over the course of the MLS regular season. Fast forward to today or to earlier to last week, basically late last week, uh, there was an announcement that came out that the sports shield would not be awarded because of the uh, weird season that MLS was in that next year. So instead of the supporter shield being sort of on display with a team and, and the supporters of that team for a year, the sports shield would be going on tour as it were to each individual SG or each individual teams to their SGs to sort of display it, you know, show, show it about um, do things with it. Um, and that was sort of their compromise. There was a, a, a major shit show uh, brushed back on Twitter. There was a lot of uh, shenanigans being called. Um, there was a lot of discussion on the actual who's actually running the Supporter Shield Foundation, which is a, I believe, a nonprofit. Anyways, long story short, they are sort of walking that back right now. I literally just got an email from from them trying to figure out, you know, they apologize. They basically said that they screwed up. Their communication was screwed up. They they just they really shot themselves in the dick on this one. That's the that's the nicest way to say it. So I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on the Sparshield drama um, and you know what 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 they should do going forward, either this year or going forward in the future? I know I'm in the minority here, but I would say that I agree with their reasons for not giving it out. And while I agree with the players 
that they have been sacrificing themselves during a pandemic and working th through a pandemic. And I've read several tweets from players that feel very strongly that this is, this is not just, but and some of them saying, Hey, the MLS has never had a balanced schedule, whether that's because of there's an odd number of teams or the way that MLS does things, they just don't balance the schedules. They don't have teams play the same number of games or the same um, number of teams in your division. So it's conference, sorry, in your, in your same conference. The point is this season has been so out of balance. In addition to the MLS back tournament as a bunch of games that are in somebody else's backyard and some of them count and some of them don't. And then the teams that had COVID and couldn't play, they have to make up those games. That's already a, a, an imbalance issue. And you want to top that off with not playing the same number home and away, not playing some different number of opponents, some teams playing up to 16 different opponents, some playing only about eight, half that many. There's just so many things about this season that it has not been a good, just way to evaluate in a traditional European single table. Everyone plays each other once home and away format. And so while I would agree that the way that the supporters foundation has handled this hasn't been transparent, the communication has been poor and there's a lot of things about the way they went about whether it's selecting who's on this foundation, how they make decisions that can be improved. I agree with, I agree with the merits of why they don't want to hand it out this year. Dan counterpoint. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone is saying that they're completely coked out of their minds and where we, you know, where is this coming from? I think we all get that this has been a really weird season and it's going to be imbalanced and yada, yada, yada. Uh, I, my question is, look, this is just an exaggeration of what it always is. So if you can't hand it out this year, should you be handing it out ever? If this reward is so deeply flawed that 2020 makes it completely untenable, what in a normal year, all like, where is the line? Why is this okay some years and, and not in others? And I'll throw one other thing on there. Look, like, you look at MLS 1.0 and the supporter shield is very much part of MLS 1.0. And it's a lot of compromises. It's a lot of like, well, soccer fans think of leagues this way. Americans think of them that way. So we're going to have playoffs, but then we're also going to have the supporter shield. Um, Americans want crazy names like the Dallas bird and the Kansas city wizards. And it turns out uh, actually, no, uh, turns out not. So part of me wonders if the league even needs the shield anymore. I mean, no other league, balanced or unbalanced, has both a regular season champion and a postseason champion. Now you get something sort of similar in Mexico with the Aperture and Clausura. But maybe this is the time to say, actually, we've made a bunch of choices in the intervening 20 years that make this kind of no longer functional. So we're not going to have a regular season champion that gets one trophy and a playoff champion that gets another. Mexico, I believe, has playoffs as well in both the Aperture and Clausura, but they don't matter as much as the league Aperture and Clausura. Correct, right. Yeah. 
yeah, that's and that's an interesting, <laughs> that's an interesting uh, idea and something that I think you're going to get a lot of pushback from a lot of people. But you know, I'm not saying I necessarily believe it. I'm just saying like you've got to have that conversation. If there's a time to do it. Now is the time to have that. Yeah, you're right. Now is the time to have the conversation. So, Dan, I'm going to throw out a different shield. What if we took away the supporter shield and we had a community shield? What if, oh. what if instead of the shield being talked about as something that goes to this European best in the league, but we have the MLS cup winner play the U S open cup winner sometime in, you know, February or something like that in some warm climate area, they go at it and we start the season off with, you know, the two tournament winners from, from the previous year saying, who's the better one. I'm actually totally here for that. I think that's great. I actually would be too. You guys are fucking idiots. That's a stupid <laughs> idea. <laughs> um, all right. Counterpoint, David. Moving along. Moving along. Uh, so there was another uh, article that dropped. So that was so that was that had all the uh, MLS Twitter in a hubbub for you know basically about seventy two hours. There's still people talking about it. But uh, then this morning, uh, an article dropped in the Athletic. Um, if you're not a, a subscriber to the Athletic, I believe I think it's still a dollar a month. Um, get on that. Jeff Reuter, friend of the pod, is a is a great writer on there as well as does MLS, but also USL stuff. But they dropped an article that had again all the MLS uh, Twitter boys and girls uh, up in arms about MLS's owner MLS owner political donations, um, and sort of the idea being that you know we've saw a lot of MLS teams and the league come out with the solidarity statements, um, you know. Pride has been a big, a big thing in MLS for for a while. Actually, MLS is one of the the, the leagues, the the men's men's leagues that sort of embrace Pride early on, and you know has been doing more than just sort of having a one annual Pride night. Um, so there's been there's been a lot of that. There's obviously with the George Floyd in, in, instance, um, and um, the shooting in Kenosha, uh, Breonna Taylor. There's been a lot of um, talk about within the, the the black player coalition coming together there's been a lot of work on black lives matter from teams basically the article came out and said listen the teams are doing a really good job of sort of saying that they're for these things they're, they're doing the right things they're putting the resources on their on their team pages things like that but when you go look at the political donations of the owners they're not they're not necessarily jiving 100 with with um specifically some of these movements, right? Like I think there was a Nashville SC was sort of the main one in the first part of the MLS or the athletic article. Basically one of the owners of Nashville SC is a guy who's running for Senate. Who's basically called black lives matter Marxist and just went off on this very, very like a rant about basically how black lives matter is a terrorist organization and things like that. And, you know um, and then the Nashville SC owners there, the other primary, the primary owner actually donated a bunch of money to a pack that was in support of this guy as well as money to this guy's campaign. So I think if you are a soccer fan in the U S and you don't pay attention to any other sports, this may be a surprising article to you. If you are someone who pays attention to any sports whatsoever, if this article shocked you, I would love to know what fucking rock you've been hiding under for the last 30 plus Thank years. You. Cause this is not, this is, I mean, you know, and there's the sort of the, the local angle here. Minnesota United was obviously on on the list of donations. Um, obviously, Minnesota United 
Glenn Taylor is one of the minority owners. Glenn Taylor is a former Republican legislator from Mankato. The guy gives a lot of money to Republicans. We also have uh, uh, Wendy Carlson Nelson, who's a, a staunch Democrat who gives a lot of money to Democrats. So Minnesota's shares, you know, it was about 50-50 Republicans, Democrats. I think it was a little closer to like 60-40. Uh, Taylor gives more money than, than Carlson Nelson. And Dr. McGuire basically stays out of, um, for the most part, stays out of political donations now. He didn't, he did not used to, but he pretty much now stays out of political donations. Mostly gives to um, nonprofits and things like that. So I mean, I don't know. Do you guys, did you guys read the article? Do you have any thoughts other than like, this is, I, I, I read it and was like, oh yeah. Okay. This is exactly like, yeah, the, like, this about this, like this about the NBA about, I think about a month ago. And again, it was the exact same thing, right? Um, the, the team says one thing, your political money says a completely different thing. I don't necessarily think those things, I mean, those things are definitely, they can be at odds and I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I mean, I wish teams were much more progressive with, their, their money and their, their money speech, but you know, they are, they, they're living, they live in a privileged space in their lives where they can, they can be one issue voters. And that one issue is lowering their taxes, right? They don't have to worry about intersectionality of uh, gender justice, of uh, choice, of uh, black lives matter, of, you know, not being able to um, drive down the road because of their skin color. They can they can live in, in a world where one they have one issue one issue alone and that is lowering their taxes right so I'll leave it, what do you guys have I completely agree with you David you have to separate the owner from from the team as, as an organization as 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 in a place of employment as a business and you have to separate the team from the players and these are three separate things and and the fans are a fourth right so and that doesn't mean you can't all cheer for the same team come game day and you can't all be on the same team and you can't all find issues and charities to rally around but it's a very different thing what the what an owner does with their money regardless of whether most of that wealth has been gained from owning sports teams or other things and what the team does with their donations and what charities they choose to highlight on game day in their team press, what things they send their players out into the community to do. That's a different thing. And so if you're angry about anything, it should be looking at your team, not the owner, not the team owner, but the team. And what are they choosing to do in the community? Is it balanced? Are they only doing these types of charities? Are they only highlighting people in the community that are volunteering that look like this or that make this much money or that serve in these sorts of organizations or are they representing your entire community? Do they hire people from all walks of life or are they only hiring people to work for them that look a certain way or have a certain ideology? Those are things you can hold your team accountable for but the owners are gonna be the owners. Yeah, MJ, I think you touched on a really key point here, which is the ability for recourse, right? Like if your team refuses to acknowledge Black Lives Matter, they won't even won't even pay lip service. They won't host a pride night. They won't do any of that kind of stuff. That's something that you can and should hold the team accountable for because it's something the team can change. But short of a general strike for extremely hard to get positions, so this will never happen in the front office, there's no way that a front office can affect 
a majority or minority owner's private political donations. Like, it's just, they don't have that lever. So holding them responsible for it is is a bit of, I don't know, it's inappropriate in my opinion, because it's not really their problem. Uh, yeah, I, what, what needs to be said has been said. This is true literally everywhere, by the way. This is not an American-only problem. I mean, you look at people who own EPL teams, and yeah, they're, they're not the greatest bunch of people in the world. They, no, they're not. They're, there's, there's some human rights violations there. So, I don't know. Like, look, if you're rich enough to own a sports team, you fit into some, some a very narrow set of criteria. And those criteria probably influence the rest of your life as well. So I, I don't particularly feel the need to ask what hole people are living in or whatnot. But seriously, this is there's nothing like it was a well-written article that contained no new information to anyone who knows how muckrack.com works. <laughs> All right, muckrake. Muckrake, muckrake. Yeah. muckrake is great for uh, figuring out journalist contact information. Well, PR <laughs> trick for you. Muckrake. Uh, yeah, that was. I was just. I guess I was more flabbergasted that people were like, like this. Like seemed like this is something like they had no idea about. It was brand new. I'm like, where? That's why I was like, where have you been living? Um, yeah, and and you know, Miss to Minnesota's credit, they are um a lot better than most and a lot of teams in MLS. So um, kudos to them. And uh, yeah, I mean, just let's just keep keep putting the pressure on as much as we can. And, and obviously, you know advocating for supporter owned uh, teams is great, but you also understand the league that we're in. It's not going to, that's not going to be the case. So support teams like Minneapolis city um, who are supporter. owned. All right. Speaking of one of the uh, better teams to follow um, Ford Madison, they, as we mentioned last week, they needed, uh, they had about four matches left. They needed to win all four and and get some help. Unfortunately, they, uh, they drew both their matches this week, a two or yeah, two, two draw, against Fort Lauderdale on like a three o'clock match on a Thursday after a Wednesday afternoon, I believe. Uh, and then a, I believe a zero zero draw um, over the weekend. Plus Omaha beat uh, Greenville, which meant that the Mingos are now eliminated from the playoffs. They had a very, as I mentioned, a very, very slim chance. I believe they have two more games left. So um, those games are on ESPN plus. So check out the Ford Madison um, though. Playing in those drip kit jerseys is they look really good playing in those drip kit jerseys. So they've been really fun to watch for the most part. They had a couple of drab zero, zero games. They've drawn, I think three of their last, there's three, their last three straight, or maybe even the last four straight, but they have some, uh, they've had some decent, some decent goals in there. So, all right, let's get to, uh, let's get to FC Cincinnati. We are playing these guys again. Uh, we played them. I don't know. It's about three weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yep. Three weeks ago. Uh, here in Minnesota, we are traveling to Cincinnati to the home of uh, the worst chili in the world. Uh, Cincinnati uh, is plus 175 to win this game. Minnesota is plus 130, and a draw is plus 260. So Minnesota slightly favored in this game, um, as as they should be. Yeah, don't don't tell them, uh, don't tell Minnesota that they are they're favored. Uh, all right, you guys. I, I mean, we could we could probably spend about five minutes talking about this game if we really really want to. But uh, anybody that we should talk about or, or highlight for FC Cincinnati, other than holy shit, they beat Columbus uh, a couple about a week in, about a week ago. Yeah, I mean, this this team is still struggling to score goals. Uh, they have scored in their last two games, which is a nice little change of pace because they had not scored in their previous five. Uh, but they're still pretty woefully underperforming. Um, one of the less said about them, the better. Uh, interestingly, not so much about them, but about United. As, as much as we've talked about United being 
bad and virtually unwatchable lately. They're unbeaten in their last four. Juju draw, nil-nil draw, 2-0 win over the aforementioned FC Cincinnati and the nil-nil draw with RSL. So by momentum, United is steaming into this game and should absolutely (laughs) annihilate FC Cincinnati. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why scouting the box score is a really bad idea. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, MJ, anybody, anything else you want to add? I will just say that Yapsan has obviously been the best coach that FC Cincinnati has had. Now, competition isn't that great, but where there isn't quality, there is quantity. And so it will be interesting, as I said preseason this year, how a Caleb Porter team does in their second year with him as coach, assuming uh, Yapsam survives, it will be very interesting to see what that team can do under a second year with him as coach, because they actually have a direction and you can. And we know, you know, just that game, just rewatch that game against FC Cincinnati. That should be the game plan, but with um, even more finishing because Minnesota had a bunch of chances, I believe in that FC Cincinnati game and kind of uh, scruffed them. So this actually, Dan, to your point earlier in the podcast, this would be a really great opportunity to go that three five two and just to fucking whip balls into Kai Kamara and get Kai Kamara a few goals and or a couple goals in this game, get him a brace, um, just keep whipping balls in. You can do that for thirty minutes, forty minutes, and if nothing nothing's working, you could switch it up if you really wanted to. So, um, yeah. Do you guys have any other thoughts on how we should play them? I'd really um, like to see the team come out and run in the first forty five and see if they can take Cincinnati out of this game, score two goals again, and then make subs that instead of sticking in a, in a four, three, two, one, like pull all the way back into like a five, three, two or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I don't love any MLS team running 90 minutes at this point in a condensed season. So United needs to make up a game plan around that. And I think Cincinnati is the perfect team to, yeah, just like you said, try something new against, I would love to see this team score to essentially uh, do what Tottenham did in the first 80 minutes of that game and not at all the last 10. Um, For those of you who didn't watch the EPL this weekend, Tottenham uh, played West Ham, scored three goals in the first, I believe, 17 minutes. Yeah. Completely dominated the game, had the majority of the chances the rest of the way. And then for the first time in EPL history, a team down three goals in the 81st minute came back to get a point. So uh, if we could just avoid that last bit, that's what I want to see United do. Come out, run Cincinnati into the ground, and then basically dare them to find the courage to play the rest of the game. I was watching the game with Wes, uh, and I did not mention it to him. He was very excited when Gareth Bale came on. I did not mention that all the goals were scored after Gareth Bale had come on for for Tottenham. So I... I wholeheartedly approve of Gareth Bale making Spurs Spursy again. <laughs> it would be it would be classic. Uh, all right, uh, MJ, do you have anything else, or do you want to tell us uh, who's going to win the game? No, I was just going to say that last week I said that Minnesota needs to attack down both the right and the left side to mix it up and not be so predictable, and they were attacking very heavily on the right side. So I just asked them, you know, sometimes you know, find Jacory Hayes or whoever's playing in the center midfield and, you know, try to get the ball straight up to Kamara, uh, Kamara, try to go down the center a few times, try to go down the left, try to make some diagonal passes, 
but we we kind of became a one-trick pony that last game, and I would like to see us be at least a two-trick pony in this next game. All right, so who wins, MJ? We do. Minnesota United wins. Right, I'm with you. I think we I think we win this one four to nothing. Let's let's fucking let's pile it on. Uh, Dan, who you got? Uh, boy, I'd love to be wrong, but this is going to be another drab draw. <laughs> uh, you're the worst, Dan. I am. I am notably the worst. Um, all right. So this is a, uh, there was a uh, Dave's I Know Derby over the weekend. I don't want to spend too much time on it because I was very pissed off about a lot of things that happened. MJ, let's start with you. Uh, what were your <laughs> thoughts on that game? Oh, were you, you, were you, happy, me, huh? were you happy to get a point? Were you disappointed you didn't get, you didn't get three? Uh, do you acknowledge that the referees cheated Liverpool out of uh, three points in that game? <laughs> I was very, very happy to get a point. I acknowledge the the bar on that last that last uh, offsides seems really, really shady. I am not someone who says, "Oh, but look at all the Liverpool." You know, all the the times that the refs gave Liverpool more time in in the dying minutes of this game. Or look at the, these fouls they never called on Liverpool. Yes, you know, if you're a Manchester United, if you're Liverpool. If you're a Chelsea, a Man City, you're going to get better calls. That's just how it works. I've accepted it. It's nice to see justice go the other way every once in a while, but it's getting, getting you know, Everton players matter to, to a certain point isn't going to happen overnight. So um, it's just the, the other, the other bar decision which is maybe just as wacky, but I think more understandable that you look at the offside and not look, not look at a foul, whatever. Um, the, those, those two players were going to the, the ball around the same pace was Pickford aggressive on his line. Yes. Uh, did he hit ball? Yes. Did he also, you know, scissor tackle? Virgil van Dyke, yes. Um, should it have been a red card? It should have at least been a yes. yellow. The answer is yes. <laughs> at least been a yellow, but the, the so yeah, I, I, I Dan and I have gone back and forth on this fucking Liverpool that that yeah. You noticed fight. I wasn't saying anything. I noticed. Yeah, I know. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I just don't understand how, like. Just because the offside flag is up doesn't mean it's the fucking purge, right? You can't just go and purge <laughs> people because the offside flag went up. Uh, I think by rules, though, you do, right? No, but, it's, no, literally it's not. It's That's not in the rules. Everybody thinks it's, oh, it's since the flag went up, it doesn't matter. That's not for not for the type of foul that that was, um, that that should have been called, right? The, the fact that they didn't call it means it wasn't that foul, right? Like, just you will, everybody will get over it eventually. But there, there any of the justifications I heard from – everybody basically even ones that were like sort of gave Jordan Pickford a little bit of a some leeway you read them and they're like that was a that was clearly a foul it yes it should have been a red card like you maybe it's not a penalty because he was offsides right you don't maybe don't give the penalty but that definitely should have been a red card and sending off right uh and then I just I can't even I don't even know where because I was watching uh you you know went and watched this one with some with some folks and uh, with an Everton fan as well uh, and even he was just like, after that game, he's like, I don't understand how that 
Henderson goal was ruled offside, like where Mane, like what part of Mane was offside that Mina wasn't keeping him on. It's just, it doesn't make any, like the VAR has just been, it, 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 for some reason it seems like England is particularly bad about how they do VAR, right? Yeah. So, oh yeah, let's, Dan, let's talk about, let's talk about the, what you just posted in the chat. So, um, yeah, let's talk about something else. <laughs> Uh, Dan, do you uh, want to give, us, give a little uh, uh, context? Yeah, for sure. So uh, the USL championship season is drawing to a close. Uh, they are down to the final four, uh, which means seating has been set. And going into, honestly, until about just now, uh, it looked like Phoenix was going to host the final, assuming that they made it through the semis. Uh if you're listening to this pod, I'm going to to operate under the assumption that you're aware that they defeated the San Diego Loyal by forfeit because one of their players used a uh, homophobic slur against Colin Martin. So San Diego Loyal did the incredibly awesome thing. They walked off. They agreed to forfeit. Those three points were the difference, and they were why Phoenix was going to be the host for the final. Uh, and there was, understandably, quite a bit of... Uh, pushback on that considering at no point should it be advantageous for your team to use a homophobic slur that's a horrible precedent to set but usl decided actually that's fine we're gonna do that and so uh up until just now it looked like phoenix was was in fact gonna host the final they have just now relinquished that right so the team has done what the league failed to do and basically said we did not earn this we're not gonna host the final yeah so i i Reading up on this, and then Jeff Reuter uh, basically posted something on Twitter uh, about this, and then was just getting. I don't understand. Like that dude's mentions were just were fucking terrible and filled with really shitty things from people in Phoenix. Um, so number one, if, if something like that happens in Minnesota, if we have a Minnesota United player um, who says something particularly shitty like that, and we benefit from it please do not go into other people's mention Minnesota United fans and be a complete fucking asshole. Right. Just, if you want to do that, just fucking log off uh, first and foremost. Number one, don't be like that. But secondly, if you're going to be like that, just fucking log off. Don't just don't do it. Um, th- there's confusion about what the, the league could do. So Phoenix offered, it sounds like from Jeff's reporting that Phoenix had said that they had offered to also forfeit. So like basically dual forfeit, um, which would have been, it wouldn't have affected them for the playoffs. <laughs> Apparently the league said that you know, there was FIFA rules that allowed that basically since the result had been played and that, you know, San Diego had forfeited that they couldn't retroactively forfeit. So there's a lot of, the USL was kind of throwing FIFA under the bus. Um, the USL, you're right, should have, should have been more proactive about this. Kudos to Phoenix for realizing that this was a really bad look on them. Um it's kind of disappointing. It took them this long to figure out that, Hey, maybe we should just, we, they could have come out easily and said this, you know, uh, yesterday and been like, no, you know what? We understand that that is, that's the way everything is set up and that's the way the rules are and FIFA and all that. But we don't, we do not want to host this game because technically we should be below the other teams in points. Um, we're, we, we want to relinquish the right, you know, whatever we need to do with USL to make sure that this happens, we want to do it right. They could have said that, First thing yesterday, when as soon as it came out that they were like, you know, going to be, and, and the other thing too is the league knew what the playoff scenarios were, right? The league knew that this this is an opportunity. The league should have gone to Phoenix and said, "Listen, you guys should put out a statement um, 
here's here's the mechanism for how you will relinquish your hosting rights for the final. Uh, get this ready. If you if it gets to the point where you guys are playing, you know you have, have, the, have the opportunity to potentially play for a final. You put this out, we take care of it, right? The league should have been more proactive about that. But again, um, kudos to Phoenix for figuring it out. And man, the USL like USL, there's again, it's kind of like the league that's like takes one step forward and two steps back on this sort of stuff, right? Like they said some really good stuff after the Phoenix San Diego San Diego game about. Um, you know, doing some bias training and things like that. And then something like this happens is really is a black eye on the league. Yeah, I would just say that to their credit, you know, they they suspended the player involved. They, the, the coach had a, a way better than I expected apology out of the deal, uh, Coach Chance. And the, they ended up doing the right thing. And I guess I'll, I'll take the, all three of those things. Let's end it with a question. We have a question from Andy Schletz, uh, first-time listener, long-time question asker. Uh, for those who have been attacked by Sinclair, FS North, could you paint a picture of what it was like to view the game? Describe the smell, atmosphere, TV screen size, etc. XOXO from a 91 Halloween Blizzard survivor. Hashtag salty. Uh, that is, yeah. Um, for if you're not a Minnesotan you and you don't have a Halloween Blizzard story, I God forbid you are on Twitter at this point right now. Uh, so yeah, so I don't know, Andy. You know, I watched it with uh, about twelve other people. Um, it was fine. We were we were frustrated with uh, how Minnesota played the second half. Um, I think I threw my hat at the screen once and had some beer. So that was, that was pretty much my, my experience. You guys have different experiences. Yeah. I, I, I watched it on my LG uh, computer screen and it's about, you know, 20 inches uh, in diagonal. And, and that's my screen size smells Andy smells. Let me tell you um, it smelled like uh, old speckled Dan is what it's was, is what it smelled like. <laughs> Um, which which it, we should clarify is a hop clouds beer is a hop and not beer. not some very correct. weird dan scented candle that mj has made correct that would be weird if you had a dan scented <laughs> candle so uh i was at home i ditched youtube tv for hulu and the interface is terrible i hate it but uh <laughs> it really is it 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 puts sports on my tv and at that point i'm it's everything else is fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's, it's really shitty that uh, Hulu is the only uh, legal way to get uh, Minnesota United matches. Um, I still have my YouTube TV subscription. I think until the end of this week, actually I need to, I need to cancel it. Cause it, it, I literally, it charged my card four days before they made the announcement that the, the, the deal with Sinclair broadcasting was not, oh, was not extended. So I was kind of holding out hope that maybe they would change their mind. I would just be able to keep you two TV, uh, but I don't think that's the way. So, uh, and the other way I've been watching games is with uh, with a VPN as well, and then um, subscribing to a particular uh, four letter based networks plus package, and then turning on the VPN and then watching the game from my home in Chicago, uh, or my home in New York, or my home in Florida. So, no, that's another way to watch the games, Andy. If you, uh, the VPN was like, so I got a deal. Um, it was like three, that's like three bucks a month. I prepaid for basically two years. So it ended up being like three bucks a month plus the 499 I pay for that four letter based uh, sports provider. 
you know, makes it not uh, not the worst thing in the world. Just don't have FSN for the other sports I watch, which is basically baseball. So I'm not really missing much right now. So. Hockey for me, and yeah. So the thing, um, hockey is not, waiting on that too. So hockey's not going to start until January at, at the earliest. You know, Minnesota United season is not going to kick off back again until you know probably March at the earliest. So I'm just holding. I hope that they YouTube TV works on a deal with them and we can get back to watching it on a not shitty interface, which Hulu, Dan, you are right. is such a goddamn terrible interface. Not as bad as CBS all access. I will give you, but pretty fucking bad. CBS all access is a catastrophically bad product. Although apparently I wasn't watching uh, the UCL today, but apparently they have finally upgraded their broadcasting to uh, 60 frames per second. So it no longer looks like you're watching on like a, like a 36, six dial up modem the way it did for much of the NWSL season. Yeah. The, the champions league wasn't at the end of the season last year, wasn't terrible. Um, but I think again, there was only like one game at a time going on, right. They were, they didn't have a, a ton, but yeah, the, it was watching it in the end of NWSL this year was, was particularly bad on, on CBS all access. So uh, I would say that all of these options are better than the Peacock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I disagree, man. I, Peacock's not great, but compared to CBS All Access, Peacock oh, is, is, is. I've had great CBS All Access experiences. So, like, it went down a couple times on me during NWSL and and women's uh, UEFA Champions League. But trying like, to, trying to find it on CBS All Access is really fucking hard. At least you can be able. To, you can find the matches on. You you don't like scroll over to sports. That's all I do. On CBS All Access. Like, that's not a thing. Yeah, shows, shows and then sports. Oh, that's much something new. I I guess I haven't really paid attention so to that. Shows and then you go to sports and then well, that's what Peacock is too. Anyways, let's not talk about fucking streaming, sir. <laughs> Can I close with this? I just yeah, want to, yeah. as a way to make peace. Um, and do recent action in England this past weekend. I just want to make peace with uh someone that is a very big fan of of a team that wears red and and that is the. Arsenal are now top of the WSL because they won and Everton drew. And Dan, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Viviana Miedema is the GOAT. And if you're not watching the Arsenal women, don't watch it for me. Watch it for the greatest striker in women's soccer history. Yes, indeed. Indeed. All right. Not uh, Kemper. Uh, not yet. yet. Yeah. It's, it's Viviana Miedema right now. Right on. Uh, I will tell you guys know that Liverpool is top of the WSL League Two table, so we're coming back, baby. Coming back <laughs> next year. Get back into that top division, David. <laughs> uh, all right, you can always find our podcast uh, at davesiknow.com, patreon.com slash the Daves I Know. Again, get a, get involved in that. That the, the beer that we're going to be producing for this is really fucking good. At TDAKMN on Twitter, I'm at Texas Zeller. Dan's at D Wade. MJ is at MJ Matsui. Bill will be eventually be back soon. Um, now that there's snow on the ground, maybe we'll get him back a little bit sooner. But you can always find him at Bill underscore McGuire. Rate review our podcast. Uh, yeah, thanks everybody. I'm gonna go out and shovel some fucking snow now. So um, y'all have a great day. Thanks for listening. Uh, we've been the day to know. This is to try and work it out because we both know we can't do nothing. Son. Long as you do yours, land here become feet, con. Yeah, uh, we, we yeah. do our thing, son. Through the act, we attract two, hope to reach one. Uh, we, yeah. we, we, we do our thing. Do it. We, 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 we do, do it. it.
do it We do our thing, son Some will paint a piece Some will spray with a machine gun It's mad work to be we, done uh, we, we do our thing, son Son, son, son Check it out, guys. GT. <laughs>